I'm John Barrett Ingalls, and this is The How, The Why. Presented by 1888. Every week, we connect with artists, authors, and innovators in the world of publishing and literature to discuss their creative process and creative purpose and explore the evolution of the industry. 1888 serves as a regional catalyst for the preservation, presentation, and promotion of cultural heritage and literary arts. Let's get connected. Hello and welcome to The How, The Why, brought to you by 1888. My name is John Barrett Ingalls, and today we are connected with the author of Can I Keep My Jersey and the upcoming Stories I Tell on Dates, number 45, Paul Shirley! Oh, that was so stupid. <laughs> I got nervous when you said it like that. I had I had this whole plan. I was like, oh, it's going to be so... No, I knew it was going to be dumb. But anyway, <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. You're quite welcome. I'm going to have to edit the sound on that one because I don't think my mic can handle it. No, it's it was real. And People I, like it. I chose like real. 45, too. I feel, feel like you probably had more of a connection to that number. You yeah, it's the only... Longer. The only number that's on a jersey that's actually in my house. Great. I'm glad I chose that. Yep. Even though the picture that we're going to be posting of you will have a 17. But anyways. Probably, yeah. Paul, thank you so much. Um, I, I want to tell our listeners, I, I met you, um, I was lost and struggling as like a, a an actor here in Los Angeles. And I had these situations that put me in just a confusing place and I didn't know what I was doing and uh, and, I, and I was working on these blogs and I was thinking about writing this book and I was looking for a writer's group and, and I saw this ad pop up. And mm-hmm. I had no connection to you whatsoever, but this ad popped up for writer's block and, mm-hmm. uh, and I chose, why not? I'm going to go to it. It was on the west side. I was living on the west side at the time and I went and it was the most welcoming writer's group uh, well, it was the only writers group that I'd ever been to, but it was really welcoming. <laughs> and, Thank you. And uh, and you know, I, I am so glad that we get to have this conversation because through through that group, uh, it offered me the safe space to to work on the first book that I had published. And mm-hmm. first off, thank you, thank you for for the group. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, now now I've given you all this praise. Uh, <laughs> Let's... Tear me down. That's time to go into the negging. Uh, yeah, well, I was going to say that uh, it. I, I've actually never been to another writer's group either, other than the one that I started. Um, so I, you don't have to feel bad about saying it's the only one you've ever gone to. People are always people do come to, to writer's block. Writer's block is, for those who don't know, is this it's a writing collective slash I, I hesitate. I always call it a workshop for lack of a better term, but workshop implies that we're sitting around like, okay, now you got to write a haiku tonight. <laughs> um, but it's more like, uh, those are my a, favorite nights, the haiku yeah, night. more like a support group and also just a way to help people get stuff done. Um, so that, people, that was it. Absolutely. Yeah. People come and work for, they write for two hours and then we, it's, it's a little different actually, since you've 
been um, in that now we stop at uh, after a couple of hours and I break everyone into small groups and hand out a little worksheet, get them talking about what their goals are, what they're working on, that sort of thing. Um, and it has become a lot more about the community. I think there's a lot more support there. And as you know, as a writer, it can be such a lonely and daunting world. Um, and what I've enjoyed is that we have given a lot of people the sense that they're not alone and that there are other people out there struggling just like they are. Yeah. What was the uh, inception of, of starting the group? Um, I had moved. How long have you lived in L.A.? Uh, 2001. Oh, so a long time. I, I moved here the first time in 2006 and was here for just a year and then went back to playing basketball. And then when my career was done, I knew I needed to move to either L.A. or New York for writing purposes. And when I got to L.A., found it to just be abjectly lonely uh, and wanted to, I knew that I, A, wasn't a good enough writer yet, and B, didn't have a good enough network of writers. So selfishly, I wanted to, to meet other writers, and I felt like the best way to do that was to just, like, if you want to have a, if you want to go to a good party, maybe you just need to throw a good party, right? Um, so I, I wanted to start a thing that I didn't really know where it would go. Like, I, it was just, you know, me and a, a donations box and some cups of wine uh, at the outset in a restaurant that's no longer there. And uh, it has grown into something that is not like a huge thing, but we are a nonprofit now and we have monthly memberships and we have little permanent name tags and people get uh, rewards based on the number of times they come and we bring in guest speakers. And so it's, it's growing um, all the time and I'm kind of proud of what it has become. It's it's incredible, and you know, I, I I I long for the days, and maybe this conversation will will urge me back to the West Side to come and hang out with you all again. Yeah, um, well, we were we uh, we just opened our third day of the week too. We're now here on Sundays. As oh, well. that's perfect. Actually, um, we'll talk more after. Okay, the we, can get, we can get into that later. Um, our our the, most importantly though. Are you still giving oatmeal cookies? Uh, we've switched to chocolate. Ah, okay, okay. All right. The uh, I was actually joking because I've I've brought on a couple more people to help me, and I was saying to them that they should feel free to make each night their own, and if they have a particular discreet treat that would be more interesting to them, that they should do that. And then I told them the story about how I, at first it was oatmeal cream pies at the end of the night, yep. and then it got rejected very quickly. People. We're like, these are gross. What do you, whereas me, oatmeal cream pies are like the height of, of uh, debauchery, basically. Like, I get to eat an entire oatmeal cream pie by myself? That's amazing. I loved, you referenced it. I, I started laughing out loud. You referenced it in stories I tell on dates as well. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, okay. So it wasn't Good. just a, a random snack food. It was yeah. a, a treasured treat of Paul yeah. Shirley. Um, well, let's, let's talk about you as a writer. Uh, you know, I know your stories people please go and 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 read paul's books and and find out about this crazy career of uh being a professional basketball player around the world um but throughout that you you bring it up in in stories i tell in dates about how you were kind of just like keeping track of that that first uh journey to greece after college keeping track of what you were going through 
Mm-hmm. Did you know at that time, like, what you were writing or that the notes that you were taking were going to lead to anything? Or was it just, like, a way to keep yourself occupied? Was writing something that you would... Uh, also, if through Stories on Dates, you have this whole section on uh, spelling. So, clearly, <laughs> language was an important thing to you. Right, uh, But right. did you know that writing was in the back of the head i mean you went to school for i'm I'm just i'm giving your whole story here so you don't have to talk you went to school for engineering um but where was the writing how did that how did that flower inside of you um please say flower inside of me again (laughs) i uh there are several questions to unpack there i'll start with this one i think everyone should get an engineering degree um i realized pretty quickly that I don't didn't think I would ever be an engineer, but engineering teaches you problem solving. And it's interesting that writing a lot of times is just problem solving. Like you have, I have 500 words and I need to get, you know, a point across and hopefully make people laugh or make people think along the way and apply that to some arc or whatever. It turns out to be much more about problem solving than people realize. Now, as to the writing and my start in it, when I was a senior in college, I had a, a friend, uh, my brother's, one of my brother's old teammates, went off to Spain to play in like the second or third division. And he had all these wild stories that he would send out in an email each week or every two weeks. And I resolved that if I got to play professionally, I would do something similar. I was starting to get the impression that I was going to be good enough to play on some level. I was hoping it would just be, you know, me and the NBA for 15 years, but that didn't quite turn out to be the, the reality. Um, and, and thankfully actually, because, uh, I, when I went to Greece, it was the European union was just switching to the Euro. Um, it was, I was 23. I had never been to Europe. It was an exciting time to be there for just, you know, in the same way that anything new is very, vivid right and Mm. so i had all of this material just like i've never been to europe i've never played professional basketball no one i know has played like on this level i was i was playing on a pretty high level so each week i would write out an email of like this is what went on and isn't this crazy that the fans are throwing drachma coins at us (laughs) and here in three months they're gonna be throwing euro coins at us but whatever and um noticed quickly that if i made them funny then people would respond Um, and I was extremely lonely having, you know, having just like jettisoned myself into Athens, Greece on a team with, you know, dudes who've been playing for years and years and years and who aren't interested in the fact that it's my first year. They're just like, you gotta just come along and start playing. Um, and I found a lot of catharsis and also the ability to kind of understand what was happening to me. Um, not, not like I was turning into a cyborg or something, but (laughs) just like, what was, what is like, I was Jorah Mormont and I was being infected, but, um, but like I, I could make sense of the bizarre nature of my life. Um, it didn't, it didn't help when it came to like my personal happiness that the Greek team very quickly stopped paying me. And so that added another wrinkle, um, although that added to the storytelling and that added to just the experience overall. Um, so I was, I think I was lucky because I had a lot of really great source material from the start. Um, and, and have been, have been able to kind of buttress a lot of maybe seemingly mundane stories with these like really 
banana stories about being in Greece. So like if I, my book, this, this book stories I tell on dates has a lot of books about, or sorry, stories about my childhood, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's the spelling bee one that you referenced and there's baseball cards and there's all these other things that if I had just had to collect a bunch of those, I don't know that it would work. It's nice to have these like much bigger stories of me breaking my ankle in Spain um, or falling in love in the Barcelona airport. Like that, that's obviously something that catches people's attention and then allows me to uh, offset that with maybe the small town Kansas stories. Well, let's go back to the the first book. Um, Can I keep my Jersey? You were kind of charged so to speak, to keep a blog during your, your year playing with the Phoenix Suns. And and, um, and so, so you went from writing these emails and like just kind of jotting down these stories to actually writing something that people were reading on a, on a, a larger scale. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that affect you as a writer? And how did that uh, uh, change? I mean, just knowing that you were being... Mm-hmm. That, that people are watching it yeah. yeah i think i was i was lucky in that regard too when the the phoenix suns website people so i was i was playing for mostly watching the steve nash era phoenix suns team that was 62 and 20 and the best team in the nba that year um and the web guys came to me and said hey man you uh you want to jot down a, a couple of things and and we'll we'll call it a blog it's like a web <laughs> log you write your thoughts down and then people read it on our website i was like i in my brain i was like i don't know what this is because nobody knew what a blog was in 2006 or whatever five whatever the year that was but i had a feeling that because i'd always thought there's just so many things that have happened to me in my career that i will write a book someday and i kind of knew like there was that sense of i mean it's sort of like i guess it'd be like if you met the woman that you're going to marry. And you just have this kind of sense of like, this is going to be a little different. I knew this was my chance probably to turn this into something else because I'd already been writing for, I was going to say, I've been already been writing for three or four years as if that's a really long time, but I'd been writing for consumption. You know, mm-hmm. my emails had, had grown into a really big list of people who were reading those emails and forwarding them to their friends and, you know, emailing me saying like, Hey, when are you going to update us again? Because I'd, taking people through this journey of me, you know, first year out of college, I go to training camp with the Lakers and get cut. And then that's when I went to Greece and spent that whole year there. But then it became very whirlwindy where I was training camp with the Atlanta Hawks, make it to the last cut of the before opening day and then go play in the CBA and then get called back up to the Hawks and like actually play my first NBA games and then get cut again and go to Spain and in Spain, I destroy my uh, brachial plexus nerve, which is in my shoulder, and that sort of sets me back. And then the next year, I go to training camp with the New Orleans Hornets, and I'm already getting tired and confused by what I'm saying, so I won't bore you with the rest. But it had just become this this real roller coaster that people were like, "Wow, I I, I actually want to read Paul's updates." Yeah. Um, and so then when the sons asked me to write for their website, I sort of knew, like, I know how to do this. Like I can, I can craft these bloggy entries. Um, and I have the benefit of a platform now. Uh, and then sure enough, um, Bill Simmons, who was writing for ESPN at the time, uh, put people kind of 
onto it. And then that led to an editor at Random House actually calling my basketball agent and saying, hey, would Paul ever want to write a book? And uh, I said, yeah, I do. And then um, so I, I had a book deal at age whatever that was, 26, 27, uh, which is kind of, as you know, it, a little a little odd. That's not the normal progression. Most people are fighting their hearts out to try to get a book deal. And here I was just getting handed one. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, probably, I mean, I think I think I was I had a great um, concept, not because of anything that I had come up with, but just because people wanted to know what is it like to play in the NBA and what would it be like if, you know, sort of a regular ish dude was playing in the NBA. And that's what that book was, was the idea of um, what is it like to be a professional basketball player? So that book takes place uh, three years in my life as a pro. Um, Of course, the best stories never were from the NBA. They were always from the struggle of like, I'm in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I'm staring up at the casino sign where they've misspelled Def Leppard, and I'm making $700 a week. And I'm like, I'm never going to make it like it's not going to happen. And then two weeks later, I'm like in a penthouse in the Omni Hotel in Atlanta playing for the Atlanta Hawks. And I'm like, yep, this is going to work. And then two weeks after that, I'm jobless again. So that's that was what makes that book interesting. Now, I wrote it when I was really young. Uh, I don't love a lot of it. As as you know, as a writer, it's hard sometimes to look back at at your older stuff. But but I I mean, I, I feel like for what I, the tools I had at the time, it's not awful. Now, taking that and taking the success of that, um, did you know that, not that stories I tell on dates is kind of like an, an update, but it, it is a little bit of an update. And like you said, it's also filling in the story of what happened from there with uh, stories from your childhood. How, mm-hmm. how did you, uh, at what point did you know that this is the next thing that I want to put together? Well, so I spent, so when my book came out, I had, my uh, editor was still at Random House and they had a, they had the option or the, the writer first refusal on the next book. Um, so I spent about four years working on a novel uh, that was like set in the world of basketball, uh, that was not great. Um, and I was actually, so I, I had given it to my agent. He actually kind of liked it. Um, and then he took it out to 12 publishers. They all said, no, I then was like, I'm going to get published this myself somehow and send it off to a writer friend for her to edit. And I remember being in, uh, Venice Grind, which is actually very close to where Writer's Block started. Um, when I got her email where she said, Paul, sorry to tell you, this is just not good enough. It's neither a memoir nor a, a novel. It's somewhere in between. I just don't think you're going to be able to pull that off with this book. And I was like in tears because I sort of put all my hopes in this next thing. Like this was going to be the next step. Um, and had the proverbial dark night of the soul where I realized that I just wasn't writing enough or working hard enough at it. Um, and so then started, uh, this book mostly as kind of a exercise just to see what it would do. I, I noticed that I was on dates a lot. We're all, we all, we all go on dates. <laughs> and, uh, 
I don't know if, if you're you, lucky. I mean, yeah. I guess, yeah. I, uh, and I noticed, and maybe you can relate to this, that a lot of the time I'd be on a date and I'd be like, oh shit, it's like I'm going into material. I know this story so well that it feels like I'm doing a routine. Right. This is your bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I know, I know that this paints me a certain way. It's like self-deprecating, but in all the right ways. And so I was like, you know, I should, I have a lot of stories like that, that I just tell on dates. I should write those down and collect it into a book called stories I tell on dates. So I wrote down 50 of my favorite stories that I tell. Uh, and then just kind of like wanted to see where I stood and just started to get a sense of like, you know, there actually, there might be something here. The way, the more I wrote about it, the more I uncovered from those things and wanted to create the, the, the narrative of, you know, there's these recurring characters in my life that were always around these like kids, these kids from childhood, but also some adults, but then it was still just like really ragged. Um, and I took it to a, a good friend of mine named Madison Perry, who's a moth storyteller. Um, and he was like, you know, some of these, you're talking about the dates you're on before you tell the story, you should do that for every chapter. Mm. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. So it became where I start on a date and I explain how I came to be on the date. And then I explain why I might tell a certain story. Like maybe I need, I've, maybe this girl's gotten the wrong impression of me and I need to kind of like bring it back to the middle. Um, then I go back and tell the story, whether it's from childhood or college or the pros or whatever. And then I finish up by wrapping up the day. Now, the and this is getting long for the genesis of the book, but it's almost home. We're almost there, John. Uh, I uh, That still wasn't quite right. So because I, the dates were sort of scattershot. So as the book stands now, there's an actual arc of me kind of realizing when I was about 27 um, that I hadn't really had a like stable relationship yet. So the the vignettes of the dates become it's a linear story of me looking for some kind of relationship moving from place to place and going on dates and explaining how I met these people. And I think that's when it started to really coalesce was when it had that arc in there. Now, in the meantime, I was, you know, that it has taken four years to get this book kind of put together. In the meantime, I've been working on two other books because I don't think that you should ever like put all of your eggs in one basket. Um, but that was that is all an outgrowth of that moment in Venice Grind where I was like, I'm just not writing enough. Um, and so now I feel a pretty good sense of like there's going to there will be more books and this will be fine. And if this one does OK, that's great. But it doesn't it doesn't it's not going to make or break me. Now, this one, you are going a different route um, for, for publishing and you're you're taking it on yourself. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I I, am, I hesitate to say that I'm self-publishing or that I'm doing it myself because what is publishing these days, right? So I hired a graphic designer, um, hired an editor, a copy editor. Uh, now I have an assistant and um, we are doing it in this group. Now that wouldn't be possible without like the people I've met at writer's block and just this whole huge hammock of humans who have, have allowed me to like put this together my old editor at Random House left soon after um, my first book came out, um, which kind of left me a little bit high and dry because he was sort of my advocate. He's now at Amazon and he read an early draft of this book and he was like, why don't you just, you just got to get this done. He was, he was a real a great cheerleader for it. Um, I did send it to maybe three agents early, but could tell very quickly that like it was going to be really, really hard to get a memoir published 
um, of someone who's not famous, nor was it going to be, um, it's not a true, like how to book. It's right. not like, here's how to pick up ladies or something. <laughs> so, I mean, it's if we really, not? Oh, yeah, my goodness. No, what a bummer. well, I mean, you know, the publishing world, I think like I was, I, I quickly could see that like the best case scenario was probably like somebody gives me a very small advance of let's say 20 or $30,000. Right. But th- like what well, that doesn't change my life. And then I'm going to have to answer to a publisher that I'm probably going to be pissed at most of the time. Like I was with the first book. Mm. So why not just go do it my, on my own. And like, we would never have gotten away with the cover that we have at a major publisher. Cause it's a little conceptual, but it's a great cover. Like everybody who gets the book is like, what, this is such a great cover. Um, and so having been through the, the experience of this huge behemoth, um, I think I am really looking at it and it sounds a little hokey. Like I just want to create a book that like 500 people read and half of those people love it. And you kind of help some people feel a little less alone and, and not to count on this as like a big moneymaker, but if it, if it connects with people, then awesome. Like I hope that people tell each other about it and, and read it and then we'll see what happens. But I, I just tend to think it's a little bit folly to, put too much weight in this publisher is going to make my life because they gave me another advance or, or sort of promoted my book. I mean, do you see it kind of parallel? I mean, I, I hear it and even talking to you and, and reading, reading your work, it, do you see that it kind of parallels the basketball career? Totally. I mean, that's, it's very astute point. Like I, I do a fair bit of public speaking and I talk all the time about, this um, this thing that happened to me when I was playing for the Chicago Bulls, where I had my kidney and spleen ruptured. Uh, I had a, a difficult time reading that chapter. Just so you know. <laughs> really, <laughs> just that one part of the blood filling your cavity was. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's all about things that are inside me today in this. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, Flowering yeah, in so a different I, way. I mean, I really did almost die on an airplane from Indianapolis to Chicago. Um, and it, it, when I talk about that in a public speaking forum, I oftentimes will talk about how, like, it was a great wake up call because I had been playing basketball according to how I thought people wanted me to play basketball. And I was like, good. I was, I was a really good basketball player, but then that changed my outlook because I was like, I almost died. Like I am going to do this the way I want to do it and come hell or high water. And weirdly I got better at basketball. That was the next year was when I got, I made the Phoenix Suns roster and I was, I, I could just tell, like I've put this together because I care less. Like I'm, I'm too much of an overthinker and that's always was my great weakness as a basketball player. And I think with writing it's, it is very similar and that's, it's nice. And I'm um, pleased that you pointed that out and put that together that like with my first book, it seemed like we were, trying to live up to these expectations that random house wanted the book to be huge. It turned out that it sold 40,000 copies or something, which is pretty good. I was like, that's, that seems pretty great. But the, the sense I got was like, well, it's not twilight. So Jeez. too bad brother. Yeah. Whereas now I really, and I really and truly feel this way. Like we've been doing pre-orders and we've like of signed copies and we sold like 160 signed pre-orders and that feels amazing. Like right. just like seeing that people want it 
badly enough that they're like, yes, I want a signed copy of this guy's book. Each time it happens, I'm like, what? Really? This is, this is so great. Um, and, and I think that's a much more, I don't know, healthy and I guess I would say soulful way to look at, at books uh, in that you, you just want people to love it and, and feel like they're getting some of the emotion that you poured into it. Um, and then after that, you can't control it. And, and to, to try to introduce too much commerce, I think is fine. That's not to say that I don't want to sell a ton of books. Like we're going to, we're really cranking out on the, the promotion for this book. Sure. But, but I think you just got to start with this attitude of like, if people read it, that's gravy. The real point was I had to create it in the first place. And it's, I mean, it's such a personal I mean, these are like the stories of your entire life, uh, you know, and your relationship to your hometown and your college and and your career. It's so personal, it makes sense to release it personally Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I hadn't Um, thought about that, but that's a good point. what What is the plan? Like, how do you roll out? I mean, with your team, what is the plan to, to release it and promote it and, and publicize it? How do you do that? I mean, I'm asking personally. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm also fortunate that I have built up a pretty good network of writers, but also writer, sports writer types who remember my playing days and who also read maybe my first book or have read articles I've written. Um, and so I can not necessarily count on, but I'm, I'm lucky to have these connections to NBA writers and NBA guys who can hopefully talk about it. So we have to look at it like it's a little bit Trojan horse-like, right? Like we have to talk about the NBA stuff or the sports stuff or the college stuff and then hope that people will connect to like, oh shit, like this is really good storytelling in here as well. And most of these stories aren't about basketball. I think in truth, women will probably read the book more than men. Um, but we're going to have to talk about the basketball stuff, um, to get people in. So, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to bore you with the nuts and bolts of it too much, but a lot of it has been just really reaching out and asking people like, Hey, would you be willing to read this? And would you be willing to blurb it? I've gotten some really cool blurbs from um, people like Jonathan Eig, who has a Muhammad Ali book out soon. Um, and then Jeff Perlman, who's a, mostly a sports writer, but then also like Lori Gottlieb, who mostly writes relationship books. Right. Um, so these are people who I, I kind of have just gotten to know in the last five, six, seven years. Um, so that was a, a great first step that allowed me to have a chance to talk about it. Um, we then, you know, did a Goodreads contest where 700 people entered and got, you know, access to one of 50 copies that we sent out. Um, so it was mostly just like anybody who wanted a, 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 an ARC or a proof copy, like we just trucked it on out. And again, I think it was just a, a credit to the size of the network that writer's block has helped me build, but also because I've been doing so much writing in the last seven years. I wrote for uh, El País, which is a Spanish newspaper about the NBA for many years. Um, I ran a website for writers called Flip Collective for six or seven years. And a lot of these people that I know, they, you know, the old phrase, rising tide raises all boats. Like Hmm. these people that I've just known for a long time are now in positions where they're willing to help. Case in point, you, right? Like (laughs) we, six years ago, four years ago, whenever we met, like neither of us had a platform to talk about the other, right. but now here we are and you've got a podcast and 
I can be on your podcast and I could have you come to writer's block to talk about, you know, the, the, 1888 center like now we're in these positions where we can all help each other and i think that speaks to what it takes i think to make it as a writer is not as much the writing talent or ability it's more just staying with it being good to people showing up on time doing what you say you're going to do like is the case with most everything um and then you just you keep hoping that you'll get a chance and keep pushing some sort of output you know? right yeah you got to keep writing and, mm-hmm. the, and the big difference between this career and your previous career is uh you're, you're not going to shatter an ankle or bust <laughs> yeah no. i mean it is like it's it's we could get into the psychology of like why did i end up writing but i think th- there's a a big aspect of i'm until i have alzheimer's I will probably be able to do this for a really long time. Whereas with basketball, it was pretty shattering to be decrepit at 32. Yeah, right. you know, it's, that's a very strange process to go through. And yeah. so I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that I am going to turn 40 this year, but I feel young as a writer, you know, going forward. Do you feel with already having two books that are, personal and more in the in line with memoirs mm-hmm. um are, are you looking forward to explore the uh fiction world oh yeah i mean like i'm i'm, I'm so tired of nobody gets tired of talking about themselves in that we all love to you know be the center of attention right mm-hmm. at some point probably but like unearthing or un- uncovering my most personal moments all the time does wear on me because I don't think I, I don't quite have the gift of David Sedaris where I can take any situation and make it funny, right? Like most of the things I'm writing about are, are good because of the level of vulnerability that I went to. Absolutely. Um, so I'm super anxious to get cranking on the fiction again. The, the next steps, I have a, a young adult novel that's about a kid who finds basketball as a freshman in high school as a way to fit into a small town in Kansas after being moved there by his single mother. Um, which is people, people are like, Oh, so that's like autobiographical. I'm like, no, I grew up in Kansas yeah. and my, like I have the most like normal family ever. This is, this is more like the karate kid only in reverse and with basketball, but like that one is in pretty great shape. It's their draft is done. The, uh, the novel for grownups is also related to basketball, but it's still, it's kind of a sneak attack too. And then it's also mostly a love story. Um, so the pivot isn't like, it's not like I'm steering the, the, the cruise line, the cruise ship completely to starboard. It's veering because it's, it is fiction, but it's still going to be basketball related just because I, I kind of sense that that's a, what I know the best Mm. and B that's the thing that like, like, I'm not going to self publish a, a YA novel. So, um, or, or even through my, so the, the publishing house I started is called fourth bar books. And that will exist always as a kind of release valve. Like if I don't feel like I want to go to a major publisher, then I'll probably just do them. But like a YA book, that doesn't make any sense. I will go to a big place for that probably. Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to to chat with me. Uh, Everybody go check out Paul's books. If you're in the L.A. area, definitely check out Writer's Block. Uh, That's B-L-O-K. 
Yeah, very creative, aren't we? With that BLOK. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, writers groups are, are, are essential. It is, you're right, it is, it's a very lonely act of sitting day after day in front of the computer trying to get the that word count or the page count. Yeah, um, and I think also, like, what I, I love about the, the community aspect is that um, there's plenty of room for writers, right? Like, mm. I, I run into people who, all the time who... I think think it's a zero sum game and like my success precludes your success or vice versa. But in reality, like there's just, you, you got to have somebody on your team and you know, and everybody promoting each other only tends to help. Paul Shirley, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the how the why with John Barrett Ingalls. The show is produced by Kevin Stanick and yours truly, with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The How the Why theme music was composed and performed by Dan Record. Please consider supporting 1888 and our mission. Become an 1888 advocate by purchasing our books, participating in our programs, and pledging today. For more information, visit 1888.center. That's 1888.center. I want to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you. <laughs>